winding the clocks back one more time in our decade hopping retrospective series, going back 50 years to give you our favorite movies of 1972. From big studio projects looking for new audiences to market towards, undisputed all time classics, and international experiments that push the boundaries of filmmaking, this is a remarkable year for film. Join us all holiday season into the new year for more retrospective reviews and more media related discussions like this. Remember, you can join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for a Screenwriters Virtual Forum. Peer reviewing scripts, giving feedback on fellow writers' work while networking with them as well. Please check out the links on our anchor.fm profile to follow us online, donate, or leave us a nice message to let us know how we're doing. We hope to see you at one of these virtual forums. Until then, enjoy the podcast. All right. As usual, uh, well, a good welcome, warm hearty welcome to screenwriters, aspiring writers, film lovers, and everyone in between. The latest episode of Script to Screen, the Boston Screenwriters Group podcast, hosted by myself, J.C. Stewart, Kenyatta Hoskins, and Mark Liddell, where we come in and give screenwriter, filmmaker, and film lovers perspectives on movies and shows. Whenever you're giving us a listen, morning or night, we hope to be a great part of your listening cues. And we hope to be the part of the fun stuff in your day with these in-depth discussions on film, TV, streaming, whatever the hell else we like to share our thoughts on. I'll start out with the intros. I've been a co-organizer of the Boston Screenwriters Group for over seven years, helping out the founder, Deborah Sharif, the meetups, where we help any level of experienced screenwriter peer review the screenplays with other members. I'm also a local filmmaker on the lower end of budgets, but I'm always game for coming up with movie ideas and ready to film. Now, with all that settled, I'll pass it on to my co-organizer and good friend, Kenyatta. Hey, what's up, uh, folks? Uh, Good morning. Good Sunday morning. Um, My name is Kenyatta Hoskins. I've been with the Boston Screenwriters Group for over five years. I've been a co-organizer for over three years. And I just kind of want to throw a disclaimer out there that I'm just going to say on the on outset that we have over, I can't give you the exact number, but we have easily over a thousand members. So um, I know sometimes that we uh, we talk about film and um, in doing so, sometimes inherently we you know, we talk about politics. So uh, just a disclaimer that, you know, any opinions that we have are our own. And there's so many different people, members we have, there's gonna be so many different opinions about religion, politics, whatever. So I uh, just wanna throw that out there. Um, but I enjoy talking about films because, you know, good films, what do they do? They um, a good film is something that after you see it, you talk about it. And sometimes you talk about it in depth and sometimes you talk about it in depth for hours, you know, uh, weeks, whatever. You can talk about it 10 years from now and, you know, talk about it for a very long time. So I uh, just want to throw that out there. But, um, you know, just love films, uh, fell in love with film at a very early age. And um, right now we're going to talk about our favorite films of 1972. Uh, I know a lot of pe- people, uh, you know, were born then. Uh, Jeff, <laughs> I, I was I was only one years old. I don't know how Mark how Mark was. So a lot of films that's on our list. Uh, pretty much, we saw we didn't see it the year that it came out, most likely, and I saw it much later in life. So. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm glad to be here. All right, and I'm Mark Lydell, a longtime Boston educator, lover of film, um, and wow, with that that little bit of a disclaimer from Kenyatta, I feel pressure now to to depoliticize my 
my take. <laughs> but that's all right. And I was no, uh, no, no, like, keep, no. Keep going. Keep yeah. Do what you gotta do. So I'll just throw it out there. You know, you could you could do what you want. This is your opinion. I was just saying. You know, I just wanna. We're we're a Boston Screenwriters group, but you know, like I like I was saying, there are so many members with so many different opinions. So I just kind of want to throw that out there. All right, I was I was the ripe old age of two when these movies came out. So again, I didn't see it in the theater either. But I think you know, from the the three of us, uh, we'll we'll have a list, maybe even some overlapping films on the list. Um, but uh, yeah, long time uh, move, lover of movies, um, at one point aspiring filmmaker. Um, now I just kind of you know, watch and observe and cr criticize from afar. And that's what we're doing today. Um, so let's get it on. Let's get, let's get it started. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's move forward with uh, sort of, uh, you know, as uh, we've been doing for the last few weeks, so we've been just uh, decade hopping and going back and giving you our favorite movies from uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, et cetera. And now we've uh, reached all the way 50 years back. Uh, Good old uh, 50 year anniversary of uh, a lot of these, of all of these movies. And uh, of course, there's one that probably reigns supreme, but I'm sure there's others that we can mention uh, along uh, sort of in the same breath. But um, yeah, so this is our favorite movies of 1972. Uh, sort of, uh, yeah, as Kenyatta sort of pointed out, sort of an interesting year. Again, uh, both, both uh, society at large and uh, cinema, because uh, this was uh, this is right when the uh, sort of the the all encompassing studio system is starting to collapse, and uh, you know, all at the end of the uh, at the end of the '60s, and so more um, more studios were looking for whatever what was going to be uh, what was going to take over sort of uh, the mainstream uh, sort of tastes and mainstream appeal. Uh, and there is uh, there are a lot of experiments. There's a lot of experimental filmmaking going on uh, because of that, and a lot of them show up right here in 1972. Uh, but uh, uh, does anyone want to sort of start us off, or maybe do we just want to mention off sure. the top? Should we just get it all no, the way? No, no, let's, no, 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 let's not do that. Well, why don't okay, we save we the biggie for last, right? Just, we, we know what the biggie is, right? I mean, yeah, we know what the we all know what the big one is, but yeah, I don't know if we want to save that. Do we just want to get it out of the way off top, or? No, no, we, we can save that. We, all right, we'll we, save I it. Mean, okay, it's all right. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. all right. You got to save it because if we start okay. with it, the whole show will, will be about that, right? I mean, I you got gotcha. to save it. I got gotcha. Good idea. Good idea. Okay, yeah. Well, oh, but, so we'll... But, uh, but I will say why. I mean, you did kind of start it off why 1972 was so interesting and uh, comparatively to 1992, 2002, so on and so forth, right? Now, when I looked at the list of all the um, best movies, uh, the top movies uh, that year. There was a lot. You know something? Uh, there was a, the studios were kind of fledgling, you know, around that time, and uh, a lot of studios are in danger of, you know, just going away. You know, so so Hollywood was pretty much in danger around this time. And if you look at the list of movies that came out that year. It was a lot of low budget. So, like, if you know, we talked in the past uh, broadcast, we, we talked about black exploitation movies. Pretty much these low budget, I mean, think about now you have all these big, mega tentpole, uh, expensive ass movies, like 500 million and 200, 300 million, whatever. It, it, 
you know, movies. You didn't have that back in 1972. You had more low-budget films. And then um, all the directors and movie the filmmakers, they this is their start. You know, for, you know, like, for example, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, 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 what you call it, um, uh, Star Wars, uh, George, uh, uh, George Lucas, and um, uh, Steven Spielberg, all in the 70s. All the big-time filmmakers that we think of giants now, they were in an infancy stage. You know, uh, they were born out of this time frame. You know, people are just, they're probably in film school right now. Mars going to say, I mean, all the giants were just babies then. They're, they're embryos then, you know what I mean? And um, they were having fun with the little small budgets and, um, you know, and, and, and eventually because the budgets are so small, they, you know, they, they you know, they would easily turn over profit and, you know, they were looking for that hit, you know, they were looking for what people want to see, you know. So um, it's interesting in films, it's, you know, movies that came out back then like Blackula and uh, uh, Coffee and all that kind of stuff, you know, around this time frame. So um, like one of the films that um, I think I could start with, actually, I'll let you guys start first and I'll, I'll, I'll follow you guys. All right. So if, if I can start, uh, you know, many people think that a few years later with the movie uh, Jaws, the, the, the summer horror movie, I, I guess, uh, even summer blockbuster began. Now, I don't know if this, I don't know if this film is a blockbuster, but I know it's certainly horror uh, in a certain sense. It's considered a thriller uh, of types. And I didn't see it till till later, but it has become iconic for a number of scenes and a number of phrases. And that is uh, John Borman's Deliverance uh, from 1972, July of that year, it was released. Uh, of course, um, it has been spoofed. The dueling banjos uh, scenes been spoofed a number of times in, in movies and, and even in, in, in children's fair. Um, the you know squeal like a pig uh, lines that at Ned Beatty uh, iconic, but again the story of these um, city dwellers venturing off uh, for an excursion into the the wilderness and being met with uh, just sheer terror. Um, it has you know shaped a lot of people's uh, mindsets around you know venturing off into the woods uh, for an excursion. Um, deliverance is iconic. And sadly, I, I didn't see it until I was in my 20s, but I probably wouldn't be able to digest all of it until that point either. But um, yeah, John Borman's uh, Deliverance. I don't know much about um, uh, the director, Borman. Maybe, maybe I'm just uh, ignorant. Um, but I do know that he he um, did Deliverance. And I think at one point he was he was tapped to do the ill-fated uh, sequel to um, The Exorcist. I don't know if he actually completed that or not, but at one point he was the, the, the target for that. I think he backed out of it. But um, yeah, for me, Deliverance um, made me fearful of um, country yokels uh, and to, to this day. Excellent pick. It would, uh, it's definitely on mine. Um, yeah, as, as you said, it, it's sort of, um, you know, for people that were born after 1972 or didn't see it in the theater, it's sort of like just immersed itself in pulp culture. Like, you know, this movie before you've seen it. It's one of those movies. 
uh, the, the scenes that are parodied, the dueling banjos, the, um, the sexual assault scene that happens uh, later on with uh, Ned Beatty's character. Uh, there's, uh, uh, yeah, there's endless amounts of sort of uh, the scenes that have been spoofed and uh, sort of even imitated in other works, but uh, the original remains supreme. It is one of the uh, uh, masterpieces of horror movies. Uh, it's like simple premise, um, just three guys, three friends, three buddies, just going out to the woods together on a, on a uh, outdoor, uh, you know, uh, river, uh, uh, river adventure, but uh, they, they, uh, they, they get a lot more than they than they signed up for, uh, and uh, it just goes south uh, really quickly, and um, uh, and uh, they're very uh, just uh, viscerally. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a wonderful sort of uh, great cast, and uh, you know, just it just takes this simple premise to you know its uh, best uh, you know its best version of it, uh, and um, yeah, uh, as you. Saying yeah, uh, this sort of uh, put uh, John Borman on the on the map. Uh, he did actually do Exorcist too. Uh, oh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he actually did do Exorcist too. And he he's done Excalibur and Zardoz. Uh, uh, after well, actually Zardoz was right after this. Uh, so uh, you know uh, Sean Connery in that outfit is uh, you know just as uh, iconic as, <laughs> as anything else has has been um, uh, done with that uh, red strap. Uh, sort of uh, bondage gear, but um, anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, John Borman. That this what? is, I mean, I guess not just the root for a lot of spoofs, but also much of what we see in in horror. That's a variation on this, right? Whether, whether it's you know these uh, toothless, you know, crazy maniacs, wrong turn, whatever. You know, it's all kind of based on this. Okay, yeah, this, this is definitely the first. Yeah, yeah the ahead. first thing I thought of was wrong turn. You know, movies like that, and. Um, also, too, I don't know if you saw it, but um, Walter Walter Hill, uh, uh, he made a movie called Southern Comfort, and it it, it came around, it came I can't remember what year, but it, it, it had to come out in the seventies or early eighties. Pretty much was kind of like a um, kind of like a drive-in movie version of Deliverance. Um, now, now, in terms of Deliverance, um, I would have to rewatch it because. Yeah, I was only one year old, so I saw it much later in life. I, I believe I was probably early 20s, so it's been maybe about 30 years since I last saw it, and um, I need to rewatch it again because I, I can't remember everything. And sometimes, I think I was even then probably too young to really, you know, um, to, to, to appreciate it, so I, I definitely have to rewatch it, but I agree with you. Like I said, I think a wrong turn, even Southern Comfort. Southern Comfort was you know, it was a, a fun film, uh, like a, a black exploitation type film. So if you haven't seen that, I would definitely have you check that out. Um, but I really, that's on my rewatch list now that you uh, mentioned it. Absolutely, yeah, it should be. Yeah, this is the start of the, um, the start of the, you know, the, the, the redneck yokels, like, uh, you know, taking on the, you know, the, uh, um, uh, the uh, you know the the the, the teens or the uh, or the, in this case the uh, the group of buddies that are just trying to have you know just a uh, uh, a 
fun sort of uh, trip together. Yeah, this is the start of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, endlessly parody. But again, if you haven't seen it, uh, definitely uh, worth your time to, to see, you know, just how, you know, why this is sort of uh, sort of ingrained. It's yeah, it's just, yeah, again, takes just this very simple premise, but uh, takes it to the nth degree. You know, it, it uh, sort of, um, uh, yeah, but this is, uh, you know, it has a uh, great, it has a, Bert, uh, should, we should mention, it has Burt Reynolds and Ed Betty and uh, 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 and uh, Ronnie Cox. And it's uh, sort of, uh, you know, all three, they turn in, uh, you know, they're all three are sort of different levels of, you know, uh, display different levels of masculinity. And it's sort of uh, all the metested and sort of sometimes reinforced. Yeah, it's a great sort of like, um, it's, a, it's a great, so very uh, thematically strong on that end. Right. And so there's one more thing, I, you know, thinking about uh, 1972 and the fact this movie came out that year and this came out of, of course, um, the 60s and the backlash. The 60s, of course, as we know, that the end of it, at least, um, was tumultuous uh, hippies and assassinations and coups. Um, a lot of folk, so it seemed, at least the way history writes it, you know, uh, wrote negatively about the South and how, you know, uh, some of these things took place, like the assassination of, of JFK or uh, the election of certain politicians or, and the, the anxiety around what was going to happen with the future of this country politically, especially with the Dixiecrats uh, that had been, you know, uh, really active up until that point. So I think this movie is created, you know, out of this kind of milieu where we have a lot of negativity swarming around uh, Southern uh, rural yokel type people and this is like their revenge in a sense right it's almost like a, a um, how dare you put us lower on the totem pole in the pecking order or whatever the case might be we're going to get back at you city slickers at you um you might in today's version of you you know progressives or liberals or whatever um in this red state blue state environment but um this is their revenge this is their kind of red state revenge against the so-called elites that these these kind of uh, weekend warriors were right and um yeah it certainly uh uses uh, sort of like the tensions at the time uh to its to great effect uh but yeah uh the definitely great pick there uh mark um and uh uh yeah so the kenyatta do you want to go next or well um this is not in any particular order but um i'm gonna mention uh you know very very uh big fan of samurai films and uh this is an adaption of a manga uh adaption of uh you know the, the, the manga series is uh low wolf and cup now, now I don't know if you guys heard of it, but uh, basically um, there was, I think there were six films in a series and I think about four of them came out in 1972. So, so basically it's about this uh, warrior, you know, he, he's on his journey. Um, it, it basically, uh, you know, people are after him um, and, and he's traveling with, with a child. So, so, so it's like, he goes on, on his, all these adventures and, you know, it was just to this very day, I could, I could watch a whole series. So it's, it's like this, I don't know if you guys heard that. Have you guys heard of Long Wolf and Cup? I have not, no, I'm going to check it out. 
yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. There, there are probably movies like you probably heard of that's similar to it. Um, I can't think of right now, but I'll, 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 I'll as soon as I think of it, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it. So, um, you know, and, and like I said, all the films came out after, like you know, that the last two came out in 1973, and then it's like a, you know, do you guys Zadawichi comes out around that time, so. Um, probably a little bit after 72. But so to this day, I can uh, sit down and just kind of binge watch that whole series. It's called Lone Wolf and Cub. And uh, if you if you listen to Wu-Tang, it, they kind of use, you know how to use all the martial arts films and as intros to some of their songs. And we have the Shogun Assassin and all that kind of stuff. So they actually use some of um, the intro music to to you know uh some of the uh from 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 that series yeah i've not heard of this um and i'm uh i'm a big fan of sort of um you know uh, anime and uh and uh, manga ad- adaptations but uh, i guess it's a little bit before my time but uh yeah it sounds great uh sort of a, it's old, yeah, old it's all HBO, yeah, HBO old. max it's all hbo yeah. max yeah. Very nice. Okay. Yeah, it, it's old style like samurai epic. Yeah, I'm absolutely up for that. You said so. Uh, said it was a, like a sort of a series or just like one movie. No, six of them. Six and of them. Four of them. Yeah, four of them came out all in 1972, and hmm. 73 was the last two. Hmm. So, so it's like um, I don't know how they made it. I guess they, I don't know, I'm just guessing they made all four of them for one year. I don't know how that worked out, but when I looked it up, the the, the, um, the first four came out in 1972 and the last two came out in 1973. Yeah, very nice. Okay, yeah, I'm glad uh, I have something to add to uh, HBO while streaming queue. But okay, um, so 1972, uh, as I kind of mentioned, uh, this was sort of the experimental phase and, uh, you know, after the collapse of the studio system uh, that really uh, just had a stranglehold on the industry for, you know, uh, for decades, uh, since well, almost since the beginning of, uh, you know, the film and, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, you know, sort of uh, mainstream, uh, uh, mainstream filmmaking at least, but, um, uh, there was always, uh, you know, always over, overseas and internationally, there were always, you know, the other sort of uh, movies. <laughs> there were always, uh, uh, you know, movies being made in different systems with different filmmakers. And um, one, uh, one of which uh, uh, was, even, you know, even in uh, a uh, very, you know, very sort of different ideological system like the Soviet Union, they were still very uh, uh, great filmmakers that were able to make their sort of voices heard, uh, you know, no matter the difficulty. And that uh, one, uh, the preeminent one is uh, Andrei Tarkovsky. And uh, he, uh, he sort of uh, was able to um, do these, uh, you know, he was experimenting with film even before, you know, the 70s, he, you know, he's always, he was always sort of, uh, uh, trying to uh, do his own thing in terms of, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, what is a war movie? What is a uh, sort of historical drama? Uh, but uh, in 1972, he did his own take on the sci-fi genre with Solaris. And it's, uh, 
it's definitely of its time. It's a, you know, you know, it's a sci-fi movie where, uh, you know, quote unquote, not a lot happens, uh, when not a lot happens, but, um, there's, uh, it's much more about the, the atmosphere that is, you know, uh, pardon the pun, uh, the atmosphere that is, uh, sort of, uh, established. It's, uh, a lot more about, uh, you know, the, the psychology of what's going on. And, you know, it's much more of, uh, <clears throat> It's much more of a psychological thriller than anything else. Uh, sort of uh, this scientist, he is uh, sent to uh, this uh, space station that's orbiting uh, a, a some faraway star, and uh, uh, he gets visions of his, you know, recently deceased wife, and uh, it, it, he starts to wonder: Is this real? Is this not real? Is this uh, is this all a figment of his imagination, or is or is this part of the uh, sort of the uh, uh, the effects of uh, the star that uh, they're orbiting uh, Solaris in this case. Uh, so yeah, uh, a lot of people uh, put this as sort of, uh, you know, the, uh, the Soviet Union's response to 2001. Uh, I guess you can consider it that way, but I think it's a very different beast altogether. But uh, under Tarkovsky's uh, Solaris, uh, definitely uh, a, uh, a great experimental movie that sort of, uh, again, kept on pushing sort of the, what, uh, you know, what we think of as sci-fi, what we think of as uh, cinema also. Yeah, I was certainly aware of this movie only because of the Soderbergh remake, I think a remake of, of this, you know. Um, so yeah, I was aware of it, but I'd never seen the original. I'm gonna have to find it. Where is it available? Do you know, can, can be streamed in place? Um, I bet it's on HBO Max. I believe. And I, I had the same kind of feeling about Soderbergh's uh, film that like a lot of nothing happens. <laughs> I don't know if he was trying to uh, uh, follow in the footsteps uh, in terms of just the, 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 the appeal, or the, the appeal, the, the, the atmosphere of it. I, again, I've not seen the original one, so I don't know how closely it sticks to the original, but I will say that it, I felt as if there was, I don't know, there's a missing element to the, the Soderbergh film. Uh, version yeah the Soderbergh's version uh again I, I do like it uh I, I think it's a sort of a worthy um sort of I don't know what you'd call it a re-adaptation of the book or you know a uh a reimagining of the of the original but uh uh yeah I think there is something there's something yeah uh missing if you view the two and uh, you know yeah and Solaris is on HBO Max for anyone uh, interested in it. it is currently but um yeah it's definitely it's very yeah it's very slow methodical uh you might um might you might be zoning off a little bit here and there if you don't have uh if you don't have enough of uh you know caffeine or something but uh this is again this is a you know sci-fi movie from the 70s uh, so it's going to be, they're going to show off, you know, sort of the, um, uh, the production design and the, um, uh, and the other sort of, uh, you know, futuristic elements that they, uh, they, uh, that they created for the, uh, for the film. I think a lot of sci-fi films back then, all the way up until probably early eighties, um, uh, probably ending with Blade Runner, because Blade Runner was, you know, it wasn't like, there's uh you know spectacular action pack you know so it was very methodical like alien the first one but i think i don't think after blade runner uh the sci-fi uh, films were a lot more the pacing was a lot different 
you know, uh, compared to uh, Blade Runner and, you know, uh, throughout the 70s. There were a lot, like you said, uh, shots of production design. It was a lot more, it's a lot more like a slow burners. Um, I saw a little bit of the, uh, the, the remake of the Soderbergh version a while ago. I can't remember it, but I do remember that it was probably too slow for me at the time. You know, I was probably the age I saw the Soderbergh one. It was, uh, I probably couldn't appreciate it at the time. If I rewatch it, I would know how, what I would feel about it because I'll be looking at it from the lens of the age I am now. Solaris, I never saw. Sorry, but now because you mentioned it, uh, it's on HBO Max. I'll probably, because I plan on kind of like re revisiting uh, these older films because I just start uh, watching Shot Corridor a little bit. But um, this is, I'm going to put that in my queue, Deliverance and Solaris. I'm going to put that in my queue to uh, check out HBO Max. I think Mark is the next to go. If I remember correctly, if I'm getting the order correct. Sure, sure. So this one, um, you know, I, I can't say this is the best movie, but I, I think what it, this what this movie did for me was in the opening scene, it just established itself um, as being um, something different than what I'd expected it to be. Again, a flick I, a flick I did not see until I was older, but uh, this is not really my genre either. But if you ever watch the opening uh, sequence uh, to Cabaret, it lets you know there's something going on here um, that if you didn't read, I guess, uh, the synopsis of it, it you'd be kind of shocked. Um, for those who have not seen it, the opening sequence, you know, is... Uh, uh, two men in a uh, kind of a outdoor I guess, beer garden or a cafe, whatever it is, um, speaking to one another. And uh, a young boy breaks out in song, um, appearing to be in what is like a, well, like a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout uniform. And he's singing um, with this kind of light, melodic, uh, angelic voice. And through, by the time that scene ends, the entire beer garden is singing and it ends up being like an uh a nazi anthem and you can see the nazi uh swastika on his uh outfit his kind of uniform there this is not a boy scout or a cub scout this is a young it's part of the hitler youth this is the nazi youth um and you can see that that scene is uh indicative of how it can start with one person having a particular view or feeling and how infectious it is. The song ends up becoming a kind of a metaphor for the, the um, infectious nature of uh, the Nazi um, regime and how it kind of took over uh, Nazi Germany. And uh, just kind of the horror, the slow horror that builds when you realize what the hell is going on. So I, in this case, I will say this movie, um, if not for anything else, any other reasons why other folk might have liked it and why it might have garnered, you know, attention or awards. But for me, that scene alone just lets me know how this kind of fervor can build up. And I think we've seen a little bit of that here in this country um, in recent years with um, the shifting of, of uh, what's seen as politically acceptable. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh... Uh, cabaret, yeah, sort of cabaret. This was uh, sort of uh, <clears throat> Liza Minnelli's sort of uh, big, uh, sort of uh, big breakout. And back when uh, 
uh, back in 72. But uh, yeah, everything, I, I can't really add too much other than that, uh, what uh, Mark mentioned. Uh, yeah, the, um, I don't know what, what uh, not in great taste, you know, sort of to do sort of the, this musical, you know, done during, uh, you know, uh, about this brothel and, uh, you know, in uh, the uh, middle of Germany during uh, you know the rise of uh, the rise of the Third Reich, but uh, it's probably quite a bit uh, it's uh, quite a bit more uh, you know dramatic than uh, you know I don't know uh, springtime for Hitler or something I don't know uh, but that uh, yeah it's a much more you know yeah analyzing what exactly what Mark said you know how easy it is to get swept up in this sort of uh, uh, national zeal and nationalism and the, you know all these. Um, you know, uh, all these factors that play in and it's, uh, you know, basically centers on this brothel, but again, it's uh, the brothel acts as sort of a microcosm to that, uh, to the Germany as a whole. And, uh, you know, and, uh, it certainly informs uh, our times, uh, unfortunately, a little bit too well as well. And, you know, you kind of mentioned, I guess, the appropriateness of, of, of a musical, but I think it's perfect, right? Because I think when you're talking about how this kind of takes hold, this kind of fervor takes hold, it's done in many ways throughout the culture and in some ways a little more gentle than others. And you kind of get lured into it and all of a sudden you're in it. It's like that, you know, the the frog in the, the boiling pot, right? So you don't notice it until you're you're in the middle of it, right? Until the middle of the, the, the boiling water. So, I mean, some people who are more attuned to um, the way societies you know, can be easily shifted and moved um, can see it coming. Others don't realize till it's too late. And I think that's typically, I think most folks are, uh, if not aloof, they're that, they're that um, um, incapacitated by knowing the markers of what makes a society shift and change and how to stop it. So that's what makes this movie um in many ways, uh, scary because it just a lot of times I was taught as a young person, you know, that you know the, the Nazis were evil and Nazi Germany is this thing that happened decades ago. But Nazi Germany is is omnipresent, and because the the ingredients to make such a, a society is always available, and if we don't recognize the ways in which a nation can shift on a dime, um, if we always think it's the other that that's that's susceptible to it, then, then we're all in trouble. Yeah, I never saw Cabaret and I never intended to because, um, like I said, uh, musicals aren't really my favorite genre. So, I mean, just, you know, hearing you talk about it, I, I, I'm willing, because I'm pretty sure this is on HBO Max as well. Um, if it's not, because um, you, when you're talking about, I want to at least give it a try. Um, so, you know, I'll give it a try. I could try. So yeah, yeah. I won't um, say it's my favorite, but, but I'm not, and I hate I that hate. I'm not a big fan of musicals either. But for me, you know, maybe it's just that, you know, when I finally saw this flick, it was in recent years. I, I had hidden from it and run I had not watched it, you know, uh when it was on TV and because it's, it's a musical, like, mm, not really my thing, and Last Minnelli, not my thing. But when I, I saw it, it was at the 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 beginnings of uh the 2016 campaign. It's oh. Okay, <laughs> yeah, this makes sense. So it could have been I was kind of swept up and caught up in like, wow, this is very prescient. Maybe it's not as as impactful as I, I thought because when I when I saw it, but uh, yeah, definitely check it out and, and give me your opinion. It was yeah, it was definitely big at that time because it was running up there with with the other film that we're going to talk about. <laughs> you know, in terms of um, yeah, it was everybody was went to see it during that year. So yeah. 
And, um, you know, the, the next film, see, you know, the, the films I'm picking is something I would, I, I remember enjoyed watching at the time and, and I will rewatch it today. And I, actually, I, I was going to watch it last night, but it was getting too late. So I, I'm, I'm going to save it probably today or, or maybe next week. I don't know. But um, Walter Hill, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of, of his films. Um, you know, if you're into Quentin Tarantino, you know, he, he loves the, uh, you know, kind of like the Grindhouse type films and his films, you know, back in the 70s and so on and so forth. And um, so Walter Hill I wrote this film and Sam Packinpah directed it. And you had some very big actors like Alan McGraw. She won, I guess, um, probably two years prior, uh, Best Actress. You know, she was blowing up at the time. And um, and then you have, um, oh, why am I, I can't, I just forgot his name that quickly. Um, uh, Steve McQueen, you know, he's coming on the scene and he's blowing up and everything, you know, Ray Escape and all that. So the name of this film was The Getaway. Uh, very simple film, uh, heist film. And it's just like, uh, the on a run and it's like you just they go on these adventures and um you know they're running into people and it is have these really it's a really fun film like i said i think 1972 uh was a year with a lot of fun films you know films that didn't cost a lot of money to make and you could kind of see the love of the filmmakers uh making these films so um yeah, so I, I you know, I, I, I want to say, I'm not saying the getaway, you know, won any awards or anything, but you know, a lot of people did like this film when it when it when it came out. There, it was a it was a big film, uh, action film, so on and so forth. But you know, it, it just had a lot a lot of big time people that were involved in in, the, in this film. So, um, if you haven't seen it. Definitely check it out, and that's definitely HBO Max because I, I almost rewatched it last night, but it got a little bit too late. And um, just to throw out there, um, I just want to kind of back up about the Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh, there are two movies that, if you want to get, get an idea, kind of what it's like, and um, Road to Perdition and The Mandalorian. Okay, you can you can see those films copied Wolf and Cub, so. Because earlier I said there were a couple of things that uh, kind of reminded me of it. So I just want to throw it out there real quick. Yeah, I, I can't say I, I've seen the original uh, Getaway. I, in my 20s, I saw the remake with uh, oh, it's horrible. Basinger. I know, and Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I was really disappointed. Um, and, you know, at the time, I wasn't aware that it was a, a remake of an original film. But seeing that remake, and um, just like, ooh. Is the original like this? Because I was like, no, oh, no, 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 no. The original was far superior than the, than the remake. Okay, I have to check that out because at the time I didn't know how to access the original, but I'll, I'll definitely find it now and watch the original because I to get that. I still have to get that bad '90s taste out of my mouth from Alec Baldwin, <laughs> him basing it. Right. I've not seen it either. Uh, it. Um... Uh, but uh, I, I've seen the movie. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. Haven't seen the uh, uh, apparently the bad remake either. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, Steve McQueen, the King of Cool. Like I'm always up for um, 
you know, whatever sort of he, uh, any role that he was uh, sort of uh, doing at the time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> uh, I'll see if I can, uh, I'll see if I need a uh, sort of uh, Steve McQueen fix. I'll definitely see if I can get to that one. Um, but so what, what could I mention next? Um, so I mentioned sort of um, uh, the uh, sort of uh, international scene at the time, uh, or at least uh, uh, one particular part of the uh, uh, one particular part of the, the world that uh, uh, that was making that, that was uh, making movies. But um, uh, I'm going to stick with uh, sort of uh, stick with the international scene uh, with um, uh, with uh, Werner Herzog and uh, sort of his. Um, you know, the, you know, he, he's now known as sort of like this, uh, uh, this very uh, sort of eccentric, uh, you know, film savant. Uh, you know, in uh, you know, giving you, uh, giving any uh, wannabe filmmaker, you know, worthy advice about you know, uh, the industry and you know how to, um, how to make movies. But uh, you know, this is sort of uh, in the beginning uh, when he was start starting to make his name, and this is uh, Agira Wrath of God. Uh, this is with uh, is a, a longtime collaborator and uh, sometimes at odds um, uh, at a, they were at odds uh, with uh, working together across Kinski and this is sort of um, I want how do I want to set up uh, Agira but uh, uh, this is uh, you know this this is taking sort of um, the uh, the adventure. This is again sort of taking like sort of a deliverance. This is sort of taking the adventure movie, but uh, turning it on its head. Uh, and this is uh, about uh, the uh, the titular character uh, Gira, sort of like this uh, uh, Spanish conquistador that was uh, in uh, South uh, South America and uh, you know exploring territory to uh, sort of um, uh, to colonize for the uh, uh, for back home, but. Uh, as he, you know, uh, sort of like another sort of uh, um, another uh, another famous sort of uh, heart, sort of a heart of darkness sort of way, the uh, the uh, sort of the, he starts becoming a little more and more manic, starts becoming more uh, unhinged, and about uh, you know how he goes about it. Again, this is another sort of uh, you know, 70s were big on these, uh, uh, the psychological thrillers, and uh, this is certainly another one uh, just done in sort of like this, uh, this is going to be, a, you know, another adventure movie, uh, but this is uh, very far from, uh, you know, the uh, sort of probably what you're expecting. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, Kira, definitely another sort of experiment from the early 70s that has uh, gone on to inform other works. Uh, Lost City of Z, um, probably always uh, a little bit uh, to this one, if anyone has uh, seen that, uh, sort of in the same vein. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, uh, this goes, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, this goes sort of uh, what you'd expect, you know, or, or uh, you know, Werner Herzog to take things. What was the name of that film you said? What was the name of it? Uh, Agira, Wrath of God, maybe. Um, maybe oh, Wrath of God. Wrath of God, uh -huh. yeah. Uh, oh. Right. I never heard of it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was uh, early. It's uh, right early in uh, Herzog's career, um, but uh, and uh, this uh, was sort of uh, the first real uh, 
maybe he did a documentary or something that, that, that got him a, a little bit uh, his foot in the door but uh, this got him uh, uh, this got him a lot of acclaim in terms of uh, making uh, a narrative uh, dramatic work yeah I've got to plead ignorance to that I mean sorry <laughs> I'll, I'll look for it leave uh, where, where can you where can you see it is it on HBO Max as well? <laughs> you would think, but I don't. I don't think so. Um, uh, it's currently on. Yeah, it's currently on Tubi with uh, a few ads in between. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, amazingly, not on HBO Max, but uh, yeah, I guess it's a little bit different than what uh, they typically um, uh, typically have in their streaming platform. But yeah, definitely worth a, a watch if you're curious about. Uh, sort of uh, the um, the age of exploration, uh, you know, kind of, but a little bit uh, turned on its head a little bit. And in this case, uh, this just the, the, the dark psychological uh, path that uh, the main character goes through into and uh, how he imparts that on to the, uh, the rest of his, uh, his troop and the rest of uh, the, the indigenous people that he's, uh, you know, conquering. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to check that out. <laughs> we gotta do a part two of like all the stuff we haven't seen. All the stuff that we need to it. catch up on from other you catch up on and do a part two. You know, after we're all caught up. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Good suggestions. I mean, well, I'm glad. It, yeah, I'm happy to give you all uh, sort of uh, things to look for. All right. Uh, Are we at the big one? I mean. I mean, we might as well. I think we. I think we've held it off for. Yeah, we've held it off for. Well, uh, I just want to say it at the same. Okay, go ahead, Pinata. I just want to throw honorable mention oh, out okay. there. Good idea. Okay, Return of Dragon is uh, Bruce Lee was big time back then, and out of like uh, he made what uh, Fist of Fury, and um, what's the other one? I think that's like the first commercial American. Uh, you know, that came out in America. And I think that's Fist of Fury is like one of the big films that, that just put Bruce Lee on the map. And then, he, you know, he ended with uh, I'm trying to think a Game of Death. But to me, out of all the Bruce Lee films, I think Return of the Dragon was my favorite one. Uh, at the end, he fights uh, Chuck Norris. So it's like Game of Death, he fought uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, you know, and, and Return of the Dragon is uh he, he fights chuck norris so i'm thinking if he was if he lived to make another movie he probably would have fought at the end somebody you know um i don't know whoever was big at the time but uh yeah i don't know if you guys saw that but bruce is very big at the time and yeah, of course big superstar did. so so definitely i you know um i remember seeing uh game of death in uh the movie did as I was so young, I was really young, but I can't remember the, the, the images of the tiger claw, the, 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 the claw that the, um, the, the, you know, big boss had and everything. Mm -hmm. But I, I didn't see Return of the Dragon in the theater, but uh, when they used to have the, um, the um, all three movies that kind of like that collectible box, saw it and it's just, I just became a very big fan of the film. It was action packed. And um, Bruce Lee had a lot of charisma. Like I said, it's not Shakespeare or anything like that, but it's, like I said, it's a very fun film. 
um, if you want to see, you know, just, you know, great martial arts and Bruce Lee at his peak, uh, that that'll be a good film to watch. Yeah, I can say as a kid in Detroit in the seventies, um, you know, not that long after this movie was released, they would you know have it on TV as well as like we would have like a, um, I guess a kung fu or uh, martial arts uh, like regular. Saturday afternoon viewing time. It'd be something on um, with, with martial arts, because as we've mentioned before, you know, the early seventies, at least um, those movies saved a lot of the film industry. Right. Um, especially for the black folks, because um, a lot of the theaters were, were based in urban areas. And this is coming about five or six years after uh, the, the, the riot summers of 67 and 68, where people, a lot of white folks fled the inner cities for the burbs, yet they had the infrastructure of theaters still in cities. So who's going to see these movies? But, you know, um, people of color who were there, they wanted to make movies that were uh, attractive to them and just import movies that, um, of course, didn't require a lot of investment on the part of the, the major uh, distributors here, right? So that's what really got the the, the action movies from, from Asia, martial arts movies to kind of take a, a foothold in this country was them populating these urban theaters throughout the country that white folks had fled for the most part. And you think too, like movies like Superfly came out in 1972 as well. Yeah. And a lot of these black exportations. So those are the two things that kind of say Hollywood is like the martial arts films uh, and then the black exploitation films. Right. And a lot of those um, kind of like those uh, Grindhouse films. You know, and a lot of the black exploitation films had a lot of martial arts in it. So you had tits and ass, uh, um, and then you had martial arts, and then you know, car chases and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, and some of those urban theaters also turned into to, to uh, X-rated uh, theaters too. Uh, right. Why uh, a film like Deep Throat could be you know, one of the top um, grossing movies of, of 72 as well. Not that it's on my list or anything. I've yet to see it. <laughs> Good cover, Mark. And it was so big back then that they made a documentary on it, how big right. it was. Right. right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. No, huge Bruce Lee fan. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I, I haven't gone to uh, too many more, but uh, Inch of the Dragon, I mean, you, it's unbeatable. Uh, it's not from 72, but yeah, sort of uh, um, established sort of uh, the, the martial arts epic uh, that uh, and uh, uh, Bruce Lee himself. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, always up for um, always up for a Bruce Lee sort of uh, 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 a Bruce Lee outing, but um, yeah, a few of my own honorable mentions before we get to the big one. Um, sisters, uh, yeah. oh yeah, so you, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, sister, yeah, sister, all right, yeah. I'll, I'll, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, Brian De Palma's uh, yeah, uh, sort of thing. I, I, maybe I'll let Kenyatta to, uh, take the reins uh, in order to sort of. Uh, no, I, I'll let you continue because that was also one of my honorable mentions as well, and I saw right. it much later because mm -hmm. I became a Brian De Palma fan. Like you have Scarface, and then you have um, Carlito's Way, then you had mm -hmm. Dress to Kill. Because like once I saw, um, you know, when I when I started getting to Brian De Palma, I went through all his, you know, his, you know, his filmography, and I came across Sisters. I had, 
I didn't know what to expect because, you know, I also like Alfred Hitchcock and he's probably like a Alfred Hitchcock um, protege. So I'll let you, I'll let you go first and I'll <laughs> chime in. Okay. Yeah. Sisters. I mean, um, if you, you know, we, we talked about malignant last year uh, and I, I, I guess that this is sort of uh, yeah, trying to do uh, sort of something similar. It does not have the same twist, though, I should say. <laughs> if you've seen Mal- <laughs> Malignant, they, they, there's not, definitely not the same twist. Also, the uh, Brian De Palma original is not ruined for you. Uh, yeah, but, uh, it's, uh, but James Wan was trying to sort of get that sort of, um, I, I think at least, uh, my, uh, my feeling is that he was trying to get the same sort of feel at, at uh, this uh, sort of this, again, <laughs> it's my favorite word of the day today, uh, psychological thriller. Um, and uh, Brian De Palma is, uh, you know, just beginning sort of like his, uh, his ascent into, um, uh, into uh, sort of uh, uh, becoming a household name. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is another sort of uh, horror movie, uh, but uh, uh, definitely does, uh, <clears throat> it helped, uh, it helped put a lot of people, uh, well, I put put a lot of people back on the map, and uh, uh, started their sort of ascent into sort of uh, being uh, uh, being household names, at least in uh, in terms of uh, you know, the, the the heavy movie watchers. Um, is, is the, the person was that Margot Kidder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yep, Margot Kidder. Yeah, that, yep. is that like one? I believe was that one of her first films? Because let me tell you something: watching Superman and seeing Margot Kidder. That's where my when I first saw Margot Kidder, Kidder, and then after I saw this film, it was like it was so different <laughs> from what I'm mm-hmm. used to from Margot Kidder. It's like she was a completely different actress. I was like, it's just it looks like Margot, and I see her name, but it's like it just she just seems so different in this film, you know. And then she would follow it up with uh, Black Christmas, right? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that was a good one. One of the first you know, slashers, you know. Well, of course, Psycho's a slasher, but but you know, yeah. So <laughs> I'd forgotten about this. Thanks so much for reminding me of this movie. It's been a long time since I've seen uh, Sisters, um, but I'll check that one out again. I, I know it's on HBO Max. I just have to look it up to see where it's available to see again. But it's been a long time. I, I watched one of watch this on one of these uh, old VHS tapes back in the early '80s. Um, right, and I've forgotten all about this. So thanks for reminding me. And 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 um, it's good you don't talk too much about it because it's it's. I think it's best to go on cold. So so just mm-hmm. go ahead and watch it. <laughs> you know you don't want to. Margot Kidder's in it. It's a Brian De Palma film. That's all you need to know. Just go mm-hmm. in there cold because you don't want to reveal too much. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. We don't want to. Yeah. We definitely don't want to spoil, especially uh for the for this one we're just kind of listing stuff and uh since i mentioned De palma i'll mention sort of his great influence uh uh alfred hitchcock's frenzy also came out the yep. same year uh yep. and you'll see a lot of of course uh parallels between the uh the two uh but uh, frenzy was sort of like the i know i know it's not technically his, his last movie but uh uh frenzy is sort of uh if hitchcock had been just you know let's say 20 years younger, this is the direction he probably would have gone in uh, much more just uh, <clears throat> much more just in your face violence rather than, you know, the stuff he was hampered with, uh, you know, all the way his entire career, basically, uh, you know, this is like, um, this is what, what, a serial, this is a serial killer movie, but uh, the, the, uh, the, by strangulation and the strangulations are kind of in your face, which was shocking at the time. 
Uh, shocking, especially from someone like Hitchcock, who at the time everyone thought was sort of like this sort of, I don't know, classy, you know, uh, gentleman sort of uh, filmmaker, but uh, this kind of frenzy is kind of, uh, you know, shook uh, a lot of audiences, a lot of his fans too. But, uh, uh, you know, this is, I, uh, I know technically the family plot is uh, his last movie, but uh, for me, frenzy is sort of like his last hurrah. Like, uh, I'm just going to do everything I want because I'm going out on a high note. And uh, I think he did. And uh, in terms of Alfred Hitchcock, a lot of people probably don't know Frenzy. And um, like I said, I not only my uh, Brian De Palma fan, but also Alfred Hitchcock's Hitchcock. So I try to watch as many. I actually own Frenzy and a, um, a bunch of other uh, Alfred Hitchcock films. So like Marnie and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I was renting every try to watch his, you know, his filmography as much as I can. But Frenzy, uh, like you said, I, I really enjoyed it. So, and it did come out in the same year as Sister. So that'll be a nice double feature for you um, uh, to watch it. I don't know what you could see it on, but, uh, you know, if you could probably purchase that, you know, go on Amazon. It's probably, you could probably get it on DVD or something like that. But yeah, I, I, I second that. Um, yeah, definitely Frenzy was a good film to check out and i'll take this to the totally opposite end of the extreme and i'll, I'll just simply say that when i was a young kid watching you know tv uh in the early in the early to mid 70s trying to find something to watch even as a youngster i, I enjoyed horror um but it was certainly much more lowbrow in that uh, i was trying to check out things as gory or as as just spooky as possible and I was happy to finally see someone looking like me on the screen as a, a villain. And that is a movie that is not, again, not Shakespeare, not even great, <laughs> horrible writing, but just to finally see a black person as this villain, Blackula on the screen meant something to me as a youngster. I'm sure I haven't seen it in many, many a year or its sequels, but um, it just meant something for, for represent, representation on the screen which as Kenyatta mentioned with the black exploitation flicks um, kind of kept the studios afloat. This is one of those examples of black exploitation in the 19, early 1970s. Um, and whew, but dialogue was atrocious, uh, lighting, terror. I mean, everything you can think about in terms of filmmaking was bad, but for me to see myself as a youngster on, you know, on screen, uh, someone who looked like me was important. And, and the ironic thing too, the, the guy who played the, the, the main character, he's actually a, cl a classical. Uh, yeah, Marshall, William Marshall. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Actor, so he's a serious actor. And you know something? Because um, around this time, Blackenstein came out, and then <laughs> Abby came out, which is a black yes. version of Exorcist. I yes. never saw it, but uh, people would tell me about it. But I saw Blackula. I I didn't finish watching it, but I watched a little bit of, of it, like last home, like. October. So it, it actually, it's not a, in terms of story-wise, it wasn't a, a, if you were, it wasn't a bad story. It was kind of, I'll, that's all I say. It's, 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 it, it wasn't as bad as you think, as it seems. It was a good story. 
the dialogue yeah, yeah. and the lighting, mean, everything. I don't know. Maybe I'll go back yeah. and look at it again. But I always thought, even at the time, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, whoa, there's something, something, something exciting about this being a black person on screen. But it's, it's kind of second rate. So it's right. at least. Yeah. Right. You could easily make a remake of, of it kind of like, because, you know, we kind of got that a little bit in um, Vampire in Brooklyn, <laughs> you know, whatever. It kind of right. reminds me of Black Hill. But if, if you would take Black Hill with the same storyline and just make little changes here and there, you could actually have a good movie, especially with the cinematography nowadays and everything. So, yeah, I, it wasn't a bad story. I mean, it's just like you said, the dialogue, you know, you had to have kind of like the uh, exportation, like jive, you know, jive turkey talks, you know, that kind of thing. But the storyline wasn't as bad as it. If you, if you look at it again, say, yo, yeah, all you do is make some, you know, hit that rewrite. You could make, actually make a good movie out of it. Right. So, I mean, at the time with that, you know, the again studios were, were tapping black folks these black exploitation movies and then they're also kind of having us kind of cross over with with music artists tapping in as well so you've got um trouble man um right song by by marvin gay from the movie trouble man right black exploitation flick um oh was that uh was that who was the lead in that was it ben is it hooks was it um just name hooks which which movie? Uh, Trouble Man. Trouble Man was Robert Hooks. Never saw... Robert Hooks. Robert yes, Hooks yes. and Paul uh -huh. Winfield. Yeah. Yes, and his son Kevin Hooks played in The White Shadow, but Robert Hooks was in this. Um, and then you also have a sequel to um, Willard Ben, right? Yeah. With yeah. Michael Jackson singing the, the 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 title song to that, and even named his own personal album of that year after the movie Ben, or maybe his album was the soundtrack. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we have black folk being for a long time, either neglected or being depicted as domestics or like the father of jokes to, you know, leading in, you know, not the highest quality horror movies, but also black exploitation movies. And then also writing the music for that, these movies, you know, Shaft, of course, another one with, with, uh, uh, songs written by Isaac Hayes and Superfly with uh um um which which uh, one I think I won uh, Oscar didn't it his soundtrack I believe I guess yeah I think so uh, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah I think so yeah uh the song I mean, uh, yeah uh -huh. and Curtis Mayfield was Superfly I mean it's uh um yeah Superfly so um yeah well, this is seventy two is like the height of black exploitation and the incorporation of black folk into the to other aspects, you know, in terms of music and, and scoring movies. Little aside there. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. It's okay. Great, yeah. So have we put it off long enough? Do we just, yep. uh, okay. Should we just say it at the same time? <laughs> okay. One, two, three. three. Deep throat. No. God, uh, God. There, we go. Yeah, there we go. It's, I mean, I guess it's more indicative of the time. But uh, uh, I don't know if people want it. I think people want, uh, well, maybe some people would want us talking about uh, Deep Throat even. But uh, I think, yeah, it is Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. Yeah, it's just, uh, I'll, let, I'll, I'll, let the other, I'll let the other panelists sort of uh, take the whole, I'll just say that, yeah, I mean, I could try to be, you know, the contrarian and just say, well, you know, Solaris, uh, you know, trying to do a little bit more experimental or Aguirre or Ask the Goddess, you know, 
uh, Werner Herzog, but I mean, yeah, you, it, 1972, it, hands down, it's got to be the godfather. It's one of the few years that I think there's a unanimous sort of, uh, uh, almost unanimous uh, sort of uh, uh, pick for well, one, of, uh, one of the best, um, one of the best movies uh, of 72, one of the best movies like ever made. Well, not yeah, only one of the best movies, but also you can think of it as being, I guess, the blueprint or the template to a lot of what follows in terms of, you know, the, the mob movies. Um, I kind of mentioned before with, with uh, other movies that there are these kind of um, ways that it kind of seeps through the public, seeps into the public consciousness to the fact that you have spoofs, you have spinoffs, you even have, when, when kids shows do, you know, uh, spoofs on something like this, even though it's clearly meant to be for adults, you, you know, you've got something. I'm pretty sure there was a, a, a Sesame Street spoof, um, one little segment um, with the Godfather uh, or Godfather-esque kind of thing going on. I was going to look that one up, but I'm pretty sure it was Sesame Street that had something like that. Um, this was kind of burned or etched into the consciousness of the, the, the country in terms of what it meant to, to make or to be uh, a, a mobster film. And I think everything that comes after this in terms of a mobster film is a, is a derivative you know, of this in some way, shape or form. He set the, uh, the blueprint a couple that did um, uh, with this. And yeah, just in the careers of the people who are involved as well, right? In this movie, uh, we, we just lost uh, James Kahn recently, uh, of course, who's prominent in this as well. But I can't say enough. I'm just kind of rambling now, but certainly one of the best uh, movies of that year, if not any year. And I think this movie, as well as um, Jaws, defined the 70s and defined, um, I think, what moves would be for the next few decades to come. And, um, okay, so, you know, this was adapted from Mario Puzo's uh, The Godfather, the same title. And uh, it was like one of the best selling books ever, the only uh, other book that sold it was the Bible. And um, so <clears throat> recently, actually, uh, well, this past weekend, you know, this past three days, I, there's a series on uh, Paramount Plus called The Offer. And The Offer has 10 episodes, season one. Um, basically, it was about uh, Albert uh, Albert uh, Luddy, I think his name is. He's a producer. And um, so basically everything that went down in the making of this film, I highly, highly recommend. It's called The Offer of Paramount Plus. I have to admit, out of 10 episodes, to me, the last two episodes was kind of was really slow, but anything before that, it was it had everything. It broke down stuff that I had no clue and um, how Al Pacino, uh, they fought hard to get Al Pacino, how the uh, other executives didn't want him. They wanted James Conn to be Michael Corleone. Uh, uh, and they didn't want, because, um, you know, Al Pacino, this is his basically his first big time role. He almost got fired a few times. Um, and by the way, the, the actor who portrayed Al Pacino, it is uncanny. I swear to God, uh, and, and, and the guy who played um, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, 
I was like, when he first got introduced, I was like, oh my God, he looked just like him, you know? And, um, you know, there was, you know, Frank Sinatra that they had a whole bunch of people in it, real life people. So, but the guy who portrayed Al Pacino, oh my God, he did such a good job, but it's a very good series and it has like a history behind the making of, um, it's very interesting and, you know, everything behind the experience of making The Godfather. And this is like one of those films, like they almost ruined it because they wanted to whittle it, it down to two hours because they say it was too long. They wanted, they wanted more screenings. And so, so they did something revolutionary with the distribution, which was they opened up in more theaters, like 300 theaters, you know what I mean? Which was unheard of back then. And um, so they finally fought and, and they, they, you know, they kept the original version. And then of course, because of the success, they had a part two, which superseded The Godfather um, in terms of, it's just not many sequels are better than the, the original, but part two was able to succeed in that. And I think these uh, part one and part two, two, if they were to come out today, they would definitely uh, be up and running for best film. This is how good they are. They were. And part three, I remember part three, starting in the theaters, absolutely hated it. But now recently there's, um, they call it uh, Godfather Coda, uh, the death of Michael Corleone, uh, which is Francisco Coppola's uh, new recut version. And I got to check that out. All three films are a UHD on Paramount Plus if you have that. So if you want to go back and kind of binge it, and um, I swear I would never, ever, ever watch Godfather 3 again until Coda came out. Now I'm interested because they said because of different ending, um, the pacing is different and so on. So, so I'm just going to watch it to see. It says it's vastly improved. So I'm going to check it out just solely on that purpose. Right. I mean, yeah, it's very appropriate to talk about The Godfather because, yeah, that uh, Paramount Plus series about the making of and uh, uh, all the all the hoops and, you know, uh, all the red tape that uh, Francisco Coppola had to go through and his team had to go through in order to get this made. Uh, you wouldn't think so, you know, given the, you know, the, the acclaim that it has gotten in, you know, uh, since its release, uh, you know, one of the all time great American movies, uh, one of the best, uh, very best, uh, best picture winners, uh, you know, endless, you know, endless acclaims I could rattle off. But um, yeah, this was, again, uh, as we mentioned, uh, 72 was a time to experiment. And uh, this was, uh, this Godfather could be considered one of those because, no, no one had tried to do something like this. Um, there had been, you know, you know, you know, the crime thrillers have been around, you know, since um, since the very beginning. One of the, some of the first movies are, you know, uh, are about uh, gangsters and about uh, uh, cops and robbers and all that. But uh, uh, this was very different. This is a very different beast altogether, uh, and uh, it was brought together by, you know. Um, <clears throat> A cast that has, you know, got that uh, went on to, you know, superstardom. Uh, you know, rest in peace, James Caan, but uh, Diane Keaton, Al Pacino, uh, Marlon Brando, and uh, uh, Robert Duvall. I mean, yeah, you could just uh, this this uh, set, you know, so many careers uh, into the A list, uh, you know, upon uh, upon its release. Uh, 
this may be one we want to talk about maybe more in depth, uh, maybe in a future podcast. But for right now, yeah, it is the best movie is my favorite and best movie and uh, my favorite movie in 1972. Uh, just this. I mean, it's cliche. It's cliche to say, you know, God, I guess, but uh, it's cliche because it's true because it is so it is that just that good. It is as good as everyone says it is. And uh, I think Mark mentioned a little bit this, you know, like, Deliverance this is a sort of movie you've seen even before you've seen it. Uh, it's been parodied and uh, homaged and ripped off, uh, you know, endlessly, you know, because it is so uh, these images and these scenes, you know, are so ingrained in, uh, you know, our, our, our pop culture. Uh, they've just become, you know, secondhand nature, you know, to the, uh, uh, the Brando accent uh, that he's doing here or, uh, you know, to do, um, just this sort of, uh, it, it's the Godfather. What else is there? There's not much else to say. Uh, but maybe we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more in a future podcast. Yeah, definitely warrants a little more discussion. Um, it, it's just so iconic. And maybe we shouldn't like spill our, all of our beans or I guess give all of our info here. We'll just kind of save that for that future episode. Yeah, it'd be nice to kind of do the whole part one, two, three, you know, because uh, to me, it's all one story. Uh, well, I'll definitely let you know after seeing Coda to see, you know, because usually I was food part three. I always exclude part three and any discussion when it comes with the Godfather. But um, <clears throat> if, if Coda improves on, on, on part three, like they said, it, it, it has... Uh, that remains to be seen, uh, I'll let you guys know. But yeah, I would definitely say we could save any more details of uh, probably a, block, a, you know, a broadcast on this topic alone. Well, okay, I'll just do a quick mention. I think it just, I think it just warrants a little bit of a mention. Um, you know, we're in the era of, you know, huge temple blockbuster movies. You mentioned sort of uh, Jaws, Star Wars, and even Godfather, you know, sort of set the... Um, uh, set, uh, set the stage for sort of uh, blockbuster filmmaking, but at this time, you know, what was considered a blockbuster were the disaster movies. And um, I think the best, first, from my point of view, the best of these, uh, you know, these long, you know, these string of uh, movies as the Poseidon Adventure, um, you know, was was given a horrifically awful, <laughs> you know, uh, new age remake, uh, you know, about uh, 10 or 15 years ago, but the original uh, stands tall still I, in my book, I, I think they, they did a fantastic job. Um, and yeah, yeah, this sort of set the trend, you know, you have your airport movies, you have your earthquake movies, and uh, uh, yeah, the disaster movies were the superhero movies of, uh, of yesteryear, um, in some way, shape or forms. Uh, it's a little, it's, there's a few, a little bit there's a little difference uh, here and there, but uh, by and large, at the, this time, the big money makers, uh, at least uh, during the summer, uh, the big tent poles were the disaster movies, and uh, uh, Poseidon Adventure is probably uh, probably the best bunch. And, and uh, the funny, the yeah. Funny, yeah, the funny thing about the Poseidon Adventure, right? Uh, what year did that did that come out? Seventy two. Seventy two. I was so young when I saw that, right? my first viewing of it uh, probably is different than your first viewing of it because um, I saw it so young, I thought people 
actually dying in the film. <laughs> I thought people risked their lives to act in the film because they were like, okay, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to act in this film even though I know I'm going to die in real life. <laughs> so, like, this is how young I was. Wow. So it's like... Suffer for your heart. Yeah. Thinking, like, these, these poor people, they risked their lives to be in this film. <laughs> so, so, I mean, later on, of course, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know how I must have been really young to think that, so... <laughs> I remember I had a cousin. We watched. Um, uh, he was real young. We watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and he thought that um, he was wondering how how did all those people fit inside the screen. So when he said that, I was like, I, I had that mindset when I saw Poseidon Adventure. So, so my my experience, my first experience with that was probably a lot different than yours. Man, they really found a good double for Gene Hackman the rest of his career. Uh, they, they really. Uh, but uh yeah that's uh but yeah i think it just bears mentioning uh but uh yeah it's just an interesting sort of parallel to and yes it's 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 a little bit different because one studio is dominating over all the rest of them but um uh, now but uh yeah it just bears mentioning that sort of uh, these sort of uh echoes that uh, happen you know throughout history and throughout definitely throughout the uh, history of cinema We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast on our favorite movies of 1972 and all of our decade-hopping retrospectives. It was great looking back at the movies that have stuck with us from past eras. Let us know any of your own favorites from any era recovered by email or commenting on our social media feeds. Join us this holiday season into the new year for more retrospectives, reviews, and whatever the hell else we'd like to share our thoughts on. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and on the platforms. You can support this podcast in the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking on the support button at anchor.fm. You can join Kenyatta and I are virtual screenwriters forums by RSVPing on meetup.com and our Facebook. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Links are in the description. All the best in your writing, watching movie and streaming shows, and taking care of one another.